Last week we started uh, our Christmas series, um, Promise is Kept. And in this series we're talking about the fact that in the midst of so many other things with Christmas, in the midst of so much other uh, blessings and, and joys, perhaps the best of all is the fact that Christmas points to the, the fact and the reality of promises kept. Promises kept. And we need that, don't we? We need to know that in the midst of a world full of broken promises and hopelessness, that there is a God who powerfully keeps His promises no matter what. And that's what we have. And Christmas is a reminder of that. It's a picture of that. Last week we talked about the promise of presence. The promise of restored presence. Because in Eden, the very beginning of our story, we have brokenness. We have broken fellowship and broken presence because of sin. And that's what sin always does. It destroys, it wrecks, it ruins, it breaks. And that's certainly what happened with our relationship with God because of sin. It, it interrupted and it destroyed that presence and that fellowship and that relationship that God and man enjoyed perfectly before sin. And this week, our focus is going to be on the promise of light. The promise of light. Because the problem of man's sin that we talked about last week as we began didn't just separate us from God's presence. It also covered us and our entire world, our entire existence in darkness instead of God's light. When Adam and Eve fell, when they chose sin, they rebelled against the Creator, it wasn't just that their fellowship with Him and their presence with Him was interrupted and broken, it was actually their ability to dwell with God in His perfect light, that was damaged. That was separated and interrupted. You know, it's probably familiar to many of you that um, right after Adam and Eve sinned, the, the, the Scripture tells us their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. And on the surface, that's a little puzzling statement because it's like, well, wait a second, wouldn't they have already known that? And obviously, yes, of course, physically they already knew that. The, the nakedness that is being referred to there is not limited to the physical. It's the nakedness they felt at having God's glory leave them. Because as you recall, and we talked about this briefly last week, God came down in all of His glory and walked with them in the, in the cool of the day every single day. There was no sin. So He could do that. Then when they sinned, that was interrupted, that was changed, and they were no longer covered with the Shekinah, the glory of God. And they would have instantly realized it and felt it and felt the need to cover themselves with something else. So the the light of God, the glorious, perfect light that we were intended to enjoy and experience and have covering us, sin destroyed that. And sin caused a separation of us from God's light. And in replacement of His light, mankind's experience was now darkness. Deep, unaffected darkness. Unaffected by us. We couldn't do anything about it. It was lasting and it was, it was all-encompassing instead of God's glorious light. 
But there was a promise. Just as we talked about last week, there was the promise of restored presence given by God. There's also been, thankfully, something else to this part of the story. And there was the promise of light. Where darkness entered instead of light, there was a promise that light would be restored. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. This is another familiar passage, especially around Christmas time. And here's what God said to His people in context to the people of Judah through Isaiah, but to all of His people. He said this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That was the promise. And though 700 years went by, that promise was kept. The prophecy in Isaiah 9-2 was given 700 years before Christ, but Surely and certainly it came to be. The promise was kept. The promise was fulfilled. God was faithful just as He had always been and always will be. And the promise was kept in the form of the sending of His one and only Son. And there was a sign given to show that that happened, that the promise was in fact kept. We see that sign pointing to that promise being kept in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1-2. through Matthew 2, 1-2 through says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. It's fitting, isn't it, that the light of the world, the promised light that would restore light to us, that the sign of His coming would be a great, unmistakable, undeniable, supernatural star. Isn't it fitting? That's exactly what happened. And so here's Gentiles from the east, probably from the region we would know as Iran and and Turkey, could be even farther. Gentiles people who really would have been the best connection in our minds would be astrologers and sorcerers, and yet they see God's sign pointing to His Son, the bringer, the giver, the source of light, and and they make plans to go and see who it is this, this sign is pointing to, and they study the prophecies, and they come to believe that this star is pointing to the Son who is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and they cannot help but come to worship Him. And it took them a while to get there. At least 18 months, maybe two years. So as cute and beautiful as those nativity scenes might be, they're wrong. Sorry. Bubble burst. Uh, but you know that's definitely not how biblically it would have taken place. There were no wise men at the, at the manger. Uh, the wise men came to a house. Scripture tells us that, that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were at this point in a house. Um, Jesus would have been, again, at least 18 months old. Two years is even more likely. Herod knew that, and that's why he discerned, okay, that's the age group of the people I need to target and try to wipe out so I can wipe out this new king that threatens me. Uh, that's the way he felt about it. 
And so the wise men, they see this great sign, the star. They come to worship Him. Despite Herod's best efforts, they find this newborn king. They do worship Him. And they don't go back to Herod. And they foil his plot. He's mad about it. But God, God just, He prevails. He prevails and He prevails like He always does. And what this sign, this star pointed to, the reality that this was expressing and proclaiming, not just to the wise men, but to everyone, was that the light of the world had come. The light of the world had come. The promised light. The light that sin interrupted and separated us from. The light that we chose in Adam, all of us, to reject and to rebel against. And in the the darkness that we embraced, the light of the world came to set that right, to make it right like nobody else could. And John chapter 12, verse 46, we read of the One who is the light, the One who was the light of the world, who is always the light of the world, saying this about Himself, about His coming. John 12, 46, Jesus, Emmanuel Himself, says this, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in Me would not remain in darkness. Friends, we are all born into darkness. No matter how glorious that little baby might be that was just born, they're born into darkness. They're born into the darkness of sin. They're born into the darkness of their own sinful nature that they receive from their parents, that they receive from their parents, all the way back to the first parents, Adam and Eve. And not only are we born into that, we choose it. We embrace it. We come to it ourselves. And that's our condition. And it's a hopeless, helpless condition in ourselves. But we don't have to stay there. That's the good news. That's the glorious news of Christmas. That's really what needs to be proclaimed in Christmas and in every moment of our lives that we don't have to remain in the darkness that we inherited and do choose. But that begs a question, doesn't it? If that's the case, if the One who is the light of the world came so that everyone who believes in Him would not remain in darkness, the question then is, why do so many people remain in the dark? And that's that's a logical question, right? Why is this world still so full of darkness? If Jesus, who is the light of the world, came to remedy that, and made it possible that everybody doesn't have to remain in the darkness, why do so many people still do? Well, here's the answer. The real problem isn't that humanity is in darkness. It's that humanity loves the darkness they are in. That's the real problem. It's not environmental or external. If that were the case, it would be something that we could solve. It would be something we could fix. 
if our darkness were just environmental or external only. But it's not. It's deeply internal. We will always be drawn to it. We'll always be drawn to the dark in our natural state outside of Christ. That's why we need God in His power to draw us to His perfect light that we sang about earlier. We can't do that ourselves. We can't pick ourselves up and and make ourselves go towards His light. We're not going to find some magic cure to make us suddenly drawn to His light. No. Humanity will always naturally be drawn to the darkness. We need someone outside of ourselves, greater than ourselves, to bring us into the light, to change our appetite. Instead of darkness, we need to have a hunger and a craving and a desiring of the light, and we can't do that ourselves. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Here's the situation. John chapter 3, verse 19 says this, The light has come into the world. It's a fact. It's a reality. It did. The light has come into the world, but don't miss this. Look at this. And people, mankind, humanity, you and me included, people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's that's the condition of all mankind. That's the reality. And it's very easy to get discouraged by all the darkness around us. I mean, my goodness. Things are are truly, perhaps, the darkest they've ever been. And it doesn't take very long to figure that out, and we don't have to look very far to be reminded of just how dark things are. And it's not just out there in the world. It's close to home. We see all the people going through what they're going through. I mean, what I just told you about this morning with the Farnsworth family, and, and there's so many more. I mean, we would be here all day talking about all the heartbreak that's taking place right now. There's economic darkness. There's political darkness. There's physical and health darkness with you know, the ongoing pandemic and this variant, and then after this variant, there will be another one. It's inevitable, and, and we get weighed down by that, and we get discouraged by the darkness of disease, and we, we get discouraged by the darkness of, of mankind's situation, and we, we see how evil people are and how more evil they seem to grow. And then, then we look at ourselves and we see the darkness that still exists in us. I mean, even as believers who are in the light, we still have this incredible ability to choose darkness, right? I mean, think about it. We have, we have been brought out of darkness into light. I mean, the apostle tells us that, Peter, that, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son and His glorious light. We've been, we've been given something that we can never give ourselves. We have been, by the Spirit, if you're in Christ, been given the desire for the light, drawn into the light that we can never do ourselves, and yet we still say, hmm, I think I'll actually, yep, I'm going to step right over here into darkness again. We do that every day. 
Every time we choose something that is sinful, we are saying, I'd rather have the dark, thank you very much. Because it's familiar. It's comfortable. Because of what we were born into, and because of what we inevitably choose apart from Christ, the problem of wanting to be in the dark is a perpetual problem that we will have and have to fight against and guard against every day of our lives until we are forever in light, in glory. It's going to be a constant struggle until then, church. Listen, listen, everybody. It's going to be a constant struggle, okay? You need to understand that. You need to believe that. That though you are in the light in Christ, that doesn't mean you are no longer drawn to the darkness. Because you are. It's something we have to fight against all the time. And so, yes, there is constant presence and constant reminder of darkness, and it's easy to get discouraged by all of that. But... But, here's the really good news. John 1.5 It's easy to get discouraged, but that's not the final answer. Everything I just said, that's not the only reality. There is a greater, more powerful reality that we need to be reminded of, and it's this, John 1.5. The light, the light of Christ, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, listen, can never extinguish it. So there's your hope, Christian. There's my hope. There's our encouragement. There's our source of joy. Yes, the world is full of darkness, and it seems to be growing every moment. Yes, you are still able, unfortunately, tragically, to still gravitate back towards the darkness. It's around us. It's, it's just everywhere we look. But there is a, a greater light, greater than even the greatest darkness, and it's a light that the darkness can never, ever extinguish or overpower. No matter how dim the light in our world seems to be, the light of the world will never fade. No matter how dim the light in our world seems to be. And it does seem to be dim. I'm not going to try to say it. it. It doesn't. It appears very dim indeed. But no matter how dim that may seem to be, or no matter how dim it gets, the light of the world, our Savior, Emmanuel, His light will never fade or be overcome by the darkness no matter what. And actually, actually, as the world gets darker the light of the world shines brighter. Think, think about Christmas lights. It's kind of like that. Like We have Christmas lights on right now, and, and they're, they're beautiful, and you can see them and everything, but they seem far brighter and more beautiful and unmistakable the darker it gets, right? I mean, that's why at our house we don't just leave our Christmas lights on all day. Well, okay, it's because of the power bill too. But, but in addition to the electric bill, it's because, I mean, you can't really see them well. But, but as soon as the sun sets and, and it starts to get dark, and man, it gets dark early right now. I mean, that, is, that in itself is depressing, isn't it? But man, we, we turn on those Christmas lights and it's like, oh. Hey, that was impressive, right? That falsetto. 
I'm not going to join the praise team. I've got too much on my plate. And, and you wouldn't want me to do that anyway. But uh, no, it's, it's like that. It's like this, this glorious reminder of how, how the light pierces the darkness. And it, and it always does. And it doesn't even take a lot of light. I mean, if you're in a dark room and just a little light goes on, I mean, the light of your phone or, or a, a nightlight or something, I mean, it, it affects the whole area. And your eyes are immediately drawn to the light, even a small one if you're in the dark. And that's how it works with the light of our Savior, the light of Christmas, the true light of Christmas, that all of the Christmas lights we see should remind us of. I mean, next time you go out looking at the lights, and, and man, that's a great thing to do at Christmas time. That's a fun part of the, the holiday season to go looking at the lights. I want to challenge you. Take the light you're looking at and allow it to remind you of the light of the world. And as you, as you see the dark night and the beautiful Christmas light shining forth through the night, be reminded that as the world gets darker, and it will, as the world gets darker, the light of the world that you know and have and are in, if you're in Christ, shines even brighter. And the reason why that's true, the reason why that happens is because the one who is the light of the world is the great I am. That's who he is. That's what the light of the world is. It's not a what, it's a who, and it's the, it's the great I am. The one who spoke light into existence, who separated the light from the darkness, he's the one who came as the light of the world. And that's what Christmas points to. John 8, 12 says this. Jesus spoke to them again, and the reason it starts that way is because there was an interruption. Jesus was teaching in the temple, and the scribes and the Pharisees came along, and they interrupted his teaching, and they threw a woman down in the ground at his feet, a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, convenient, it was definitely something planned by them. So they brought this woman caught in the very act of adultery. They threw her down and they said, okay, teacher, rabbi, expert of the law that you are supposed to be, what should be done about this woman? Knowing the answer was to have her stoned. And they picked up stones to do it. And Jesus said to them, after ignoring them, apparently, scribbling in the sand what he wrote, we don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, which I have some guesses, but that's another message. So he's scribbling in the sand, and he, he says, whoever among you who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he starts scribbling again. One by one, the rocks dropped, thud, thud, thud. And as he looks up, he says, Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Then he goes right back to teaching. <laughs> I mean, after that. Doesn't skip a beat. Goes right back to teaching what he was teaching. And he says this. This is the continuation after that scene, after that incident. John eight twelve. Jesus spoke to them again. I am. Ego ami. The great I am of the Old Testament. He's, he's claiming that. 
I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have, will possess themselves the light of life. Earlier, John 12, 46, he said, I've come so that those who believe in me would not remain in darkness. Or, or in other words, that they, they may not remain in darkness. Here, in John 8, 12, he says, I've come so that anyone who comes to me, who follows me, who becomes my disciple, will never walk in darkness. They won't do it. They, their life will not be defined by darkness. That's what he's saying. It's not just that they won't have to walk in darkness. They will choose not to. Those who are truly my disciples, Jesus is saying, they will, they will reject the darkness. They will intentionally walk in the light instead of the darkness because they have the means to do it. They didn't have the ability before me, but those who come to me and become my disciples, my followers, I give them what they need. I give them the very light of life they need to walk in the light instead of the darkness. That's what he's saying here. My question is right now, is that true of you? Are you one who can honestly say, I know I have the light of life in my life, and it's not because of me. It's not because of anything I've done. It's not because of anything I'm doing. It's because I am in Christ. Because I have come to Christ, and I know that He who is the light of the world has given me the light of life. Is that true of you? Can you say that without any doubt this morning? That's my question to you. It's a question you have to answer. Nobody else can answer that for you. Only by coming to Christ who is the light of the world can you have any hope to have light in your life and to not have to just automatically walk in the darkness. To have the ability to choose to walk in the light, it only comes through Christ. And here's the really good news. Everybody listen, please hear this. The one who is the light of the world who cannot entertain the darkness of sin, the one who cannot abide in the darkness of sin, loved you at your darkest. And He loves you at your darkest still. Even in those times when you choose to step back into the darkness, He loves you still. And He gives you the ability every time to come back into the light that never actually left you to begin with because it's tied to Him. That's, that's what you need to understand. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have what He said here that Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. In other words, it won't define them. It won't dominate their life. They will have the light of life that I give them. If you are a follower of Christ today, that's you. That's true of you. And the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? That's true of you, and, and it will be true of you. 
Not because it's up to you, but because it's tied to Him. But the question for you, for me, is what do you do with that? That light of life that is yours through Christ, the light of the world, what do you do with that? Well, here's what you do with it. You let your light shine. You let your light shine. The light of life that Christ gives you, you let your light shine. Here's what Matthew 5, 14-16 says. Matthew 5, 14-16. Jesus says to His disciples, His followers, to you and to me, you are the light of the world. John 8, 12, He said, I am the light of the world. But, but here He says, you who come to me, you are the light of the world. Why? Because He's given His light to us. Because His light dwells within us. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Think when you're driving on a dark interstate, you're out in the middle of nowhere, not hard to do when you're in West Virginia, and you're out on on some back road or the interstate, and finally all of a sudden you come up over the hill and you see lights. And it doesn't have to be a big city. We don't have those here. Um, It doesn't take much. Remember, like I said, just a little light in the dark goes a long way. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. You can't miss it. Verse 15, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, verse 16, in the same way, just like that, let your light Shine before others. So that, here's the purpose, here's why Jesus wants that to happen. So that they may see your good works, which are evidenced by your light, the light of your life that's spilling out, that can't be ignored. So that they may see your good works, your light, and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, it's not about you, and it's not about me. We don't shine our light so that people can say, oh, how beautiful you are. Oh, how glorious you are. Oh, look at that light. Look at the light of your life. You are spectacular. That's not the point. That's not the purpose. Christ gives us His light so that we may walk in the light, not in darkness, and so that we may let our light shine out from us to other people, not so that we get the glory, but so that the glory goes to the Father who is the source of all light. See, here's what it comes down to. You come to Christ. You come to the One who is the light. You receive light. You get the light of life in your life. But we're not called to just receive Christ's light. We're called to reflect His light into the darkness of our world, which we've all agreed this morning together is a very, very dark thing indeed. We're not called to just receive Christ's light. That is what we're called to do first. We're we're all, all of us, are called to first receive the light ourselves by His grace, by His mercy, through the Spirit, But we're called to not stop there. We're called to also reflect His light that we have now received into the darkness of our world. 
And friends, we can't stop until He calls us out of this world into the permanent reality, the glorious light of heaven. We can't stop until then. We are light bearers, and we are to be light givers. That's what we're called to be and to do. And Christmas time is perhaps the best time of the year to remember that. But it's certainly not meant to be limited to just this time. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the realities that we see in it. I thank You for the promise of of light in, in place of darkness. Thank You that You didn't just leave us in the dark. You could have, you probably should have, but you did not just leave us in the dark of our sin. You made a way for light to be restored. You made it possible for us to experience your light again. Thank you for sending your Son. The one who is the light of the world. You sent him to us. And He gave us His light. And ultimately, the way He gave us that light is by giving Himself, by giving His life on the cross. And by coming to Him, and by looking to His cross, and surrendering our life there, and to Him, the One who gave His life for us, we are able to receive His light. And for all of us who have done that, Father, please, by the power of Your Spirit, help us to choose light. Help us to choose to walk in light, not in the darkness. We don't have to, and we are called not to. And it all is possible because of one small child, one small light, that shone out into a very dark night, but one small child, one small light that was greater than anyone ever could imagine and the source of a great light that could never be extinguished no matter how dark the world got or would get. Thank You for giving us the constant source of light in the giving of Your Son. Help those of us who are in Him to be the sources of light that He has called us to be and equipped us to be. For those who have not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who do not yet know the light of life, may today be the day that they step into the light, the eternal, glorious light of Your Son. We thank You for what You've done. We thank You for what You're going to do. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.